0: Hello, you. Welcome to another episode of Actors Making It, the podcast where I talk to actors about their journey to making it in whatever way making it means to them. This week's guest is actor, director, filmmaker, and festival director of a smartphone flick fest, Angela Blake. Angela has never had the desire to to work outside of the arts. Having set her sights on young talent time as a kid, Angela has pursued a creative career for as long as she can remember. And in this week's episode, we talk all about Angela's acting career, which I'll let you discover through the episode, but more excitingly, not more excitingly, Excitingly, we also talk about Smartphone FlickFest, how the festival came about, and I guess what to focus on if you want to be developing your own film for the festival. Um, SF3 is actually the film festival that has inspired me to make my own short film, which I actually shot last weekend. And a word to the wise, if you are thinking about shooting a film of any length on your mobile phone, make sure a you have enough available data storage on your phone and b have enough time to transfer the data off your phone to free up space to continue filming i was very lucky that a friend of mine had the same phone as me when we could when we struggled to get data off and we swapped in his phone to finish off making the film Uh, I'll do an episode at some point on my experience uh, with making a short film, but I might wait until I have uh, gone through the editing process. But what I will say is it was one of the most exciting and rewarding experiences I've ever had. I mean, I'm used to rocking up on set as as an actor and waiting to be told, act. But as a director, I didn't even really have time to think about my own performance because I was also leading the short. Um, I was problem solving, thinking about angles, delegating tasks. It was a very exciting. So if you have an idea, just give it a go. Just get out there and make it. I mean, what have you got to lose? Also, the submission date for the SF3 for 2022 has been extended until September 1. So you have a little bit more time to bring your idea to life. But for now, here's my conversation with Angela. As always, Good luck on your own journey to making it. Hi, Angela. Welcome to Actors Making It.
1: Thank you, Danny, for having me.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. I mean, you are such a multi-hyphenate as far as the um, person is concerned. I'm really excited to, as a person, as a creative is concerned, <laughs> and as a person, I'm sure as well. Um, I'm really excited to talk about your kind of path and, and your journey and where you are at the moment um, and what that has kind of manifested in. Um, but you're a writer, a director, an actress, a, a film festival director and entrepreneur and um, have I missed anything out? Are you a dancer or a model or a, or any of any of these things as well?
1: Well, I actually started my career as a professional dancer and singer. So that was and an acrobat. I was a oh, circus wow. performer. I was in the circus for two years as well. So I've done a few things okay. throughout my life.
0: Yeah. Wow. Very, very good. Very good. <laughs> um, I was just uh, gleaming through your IMDb profile before before joining the chat. And uh, I got very excited by the fact that you're in Bootman because Adam Garcia was like my gay, not my gay awakening. I definitely knew I was gay before Bootman came out, but but Adam Garcia is, uh, was someone that I was very into when I was younger.
1: Well, do you know, I- Did you get, I, to,
0: did you get to work with Adam?
1: I did get to work with him and I actually when we shot that I was at Brent Street um, doing performing arts school in 1999 and my they actually chose us from the brent street class to um go and be in the movie and uh but adam garcia was dating one of our teachers and so he used to come into class and pick her up nearly every day and it's funny because we were all really like had huge crushes on him too because who wouldn't and so i get that we used to all be like adam's here and we like hang our head out the studio door and just look at him like Silly teenagers do, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I was I actually very excited I'll to watch, work I'll with.
0: Rewatch Coyote Ugly and have.
1: Oh, I love it! I love it! I love, it. I love Sam Worthington because he was in Bootman too, <laughs> so he was in our scenes, and I was really excited to work with him. You know.
0: Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Cool.
1: Well, uh, let's start at the beginning
0: then. Obviously you you've you just said you kind of started out as a, a as a dancer and a circus performer. What attracted you to the arts and to acting in the first yeah. place? Is it something that's been a lifelong
1: yeah. desire? It has, it has. It's I I mean, I have home movies from f- forever. I was obsessed with Putting on shows for my family, and I would always put on. Uh, I used to make my mum put on Olivia Newton John records. I loved like I'm talking when I was two and three. I was obsessed with Olivia Newton John music, uh, and I would put it on. And I have videos of me dancing around, you know, like heart wow. attack, heart attack. And I would like make my mum put on my leotard, and I was always <laughs> really, really. It's all I wanted to do. And I remember. Oh, I don't remember. My mum told me she got me a, um, There was a kid a show in the eighties um, something about bees and it, it's like a kid show and ki- kids used to go on and sit around and listen to a story and, you know, just little kid stuff. And my mom got me on that TV show and she thought I'd be really excited. And I refused to go on the TV show because I wanted her to get me onto young talent time. And I, I didn't go on romper room. That's what it was called. And I didn't go on romper room because my sights were set on young talent time and, um, young talent time, unfortunately ended, Um, by the time I grew up, but I, I spent my life watching young talent time and it's all I ever wanted to do was perform. Um, I never actually had any other career. I used to think maybe I'd want to be an archeologist. I love history. I'm quite obsessed with history. Um, I'm very patient. I, so it's a very different career choice, but I, I haven't even ever pursued anything apart from the arts in my life.
0: Um, so when it comes to, when it comes to education, did you take a traditional route um, of study?
1: Yeah, I, I kind of did and kind of didn't. So I um, I got a full academic scholarship to go to a private girls' school in Sydney where I grew up, and I, I should have, in hindsight, I wish I had gone to a performing arts high school. I should have gone to Newtown Performing Arts, but I, you know people try to steer you away from jobs in the arts and especially if you are academic. And so I was very much kind of, um, steered towards, you know, my family and all my teachers wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer because that's the only two jobs you should ever do if you're smart, apparently. And, um, so I really was kind of, no, I, I wasn't pursuing that, but I was definitely, you know, ticking off the steps to get there, even though I knew that I wanted to only work in the arts and, I mean, this sounds something farcical, but this actually happened to me in year 10. My form, my uh, uh, year supervisor sent me to a hypnotherapist because he thought that I was the school had agreed that I was too obsessed with the arts and it was unhealthy for me. And, um, I needed to go to a hypnotherapist to, um, rebalance and focus on school and academic life. And my mom and I agreed to go because we thought it sounded a bit, you know, far out. So we Uh gave it a go and it was, look, it was ridiculous, isn't it? To try to hypnotize you to not, think about something you love. So we, anyway, we gave it a go and needless to say, I wasn't hypnotized and, um, I didn't go back for a second session. And pretty soon after that, I actually left school. My parents wanted me to keep going to school and I got into Brent street and I started working at 16 and getting, um, dancing gigs and getting Mm -hmm. paid and, So I I did that and then I left school and I started doing – I got a ballet scholarship to go to London and I did that for a couple of months. And then I came home and kind of then left school and started working um, gigging in contemporary gigs and some um, commercial dance gigs. And my parents said if i just finished school that they would pay for me to go to performing arts school and I – said no. And I'd had enough money. I was earning money. And I left school and did uh, school by correspondence. And I paid for my performing arts school myself because wow. I am very um, stubborn, one might say. And <laughs> how, um, how old were you
0: at that point?
1: I was 17 at that point. Okay. 17. And so I ended up actually not finishing high school. I, I dropped out. I think the pressure just got too much for me. I just you wanted to be in the arts. And I had a lot of people wanting me to do very well in school. And I think, you know, there's too much pressure put on kids um, for their HSC. And I definitely buckled under that pressure and knew that I didn't want to use it. And I mean, you can go back to university at 21 Uh, Anyway, and so I don't have my HSE, but I'm currently in my final semester of my masters uh, at UTS. So, I mean, it goes to show um, what you can do. But anyway, then I went to Brent Street and I studied there. And after that, I came out and I started working professionally as a dancer and a singer. And I did lots of different gigs. And then at 30, I, you know, you're getting a little older as a dancer when you're 30. I had a, I had my very first kind of bad injury at 28, I think it was 29. And that kind of got me to start thinking, you know, about what I could do that wasn't dancing. And Mm -hmm. um, I ended up getting a scholarship to go to the New York Film Academy in LA. And I hadn't even thought about it. I was on a six month tour at that stage in a show. And um, I thought, you know, it might be nice to be in one place. And Um, I, I, I didn't ever plan to move to LA wasn't on my career goal. Uh, and then I, I ended up going in that. So I did uh, a year at the New York film Academy and that was where I transitioned to be an actor and that was studying acting for film. Um, yeah. And also while, when I was touring as a dancer, I, I did my undergrad degree through open university as well, um, kind of. Um, You know, sometimes I'd be on tour and everyone's going out partying what you do on tours and I'd have a bloody essay due the next day. But I think it probably kept me a bit out of trouble on tour sometimes. Um, And I I got my undergrad degree and and now I'm doing my master's. So kind of, you know, bits of work and bits of study along the way.
0: Yeah, cool. So, I mean, just going back a little bit, I'm quite interested in what you were saying about the, I guess what people were no, no, forcing's not the right word, but the direction that people were pointing you in, as far as mm. your education was concerned. And I kind of, obviously, I mean, I'm sure you felt it as well. The whole um, hypnotherapy thing, I find <laughs> really interesting. Did that? Um, did that affect? You? How did that kind of affect you and what you were thinking about your your future mm. in the arts? And how did you overcome you know- that?
1: Yeah, I think what it did was, you know, it, it really actually made me a hundred percent. No, all I wanted to do was work in the arts. I think it had the opposite effect to what my school wanted, uh-huh. uh, because <clears throat> if there's one thing it's, you know, nobody puts baby in a corner. And I think that very much is me. And, um, they tried to put me in a corner. So I rebelled double And actually ended up leaving school pretty soon after, which was not what they intended at all. And, and that, yeah, it really solidified to me that I wanted to work in the arts and Mm -hmm. prove, prove people wrong. How did your parents
0: feel about that? I mean, if they were pointing you in that direction and I mean, there must have been, for your mum to agree to put you in kind of hypnotherapy there must have been some kind of
1: (laughs) well she didn't agree she she came along for the ride with me so she thought it was ridiculous so my family did think it's ridiculous and um but we were curious one might say Mm. Uh, my family are you know open and up for a laugh and I think that's why we went because we thought it was something that happened in like 1950, you know, not something that happened in 1996 or whenever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, my high school, we also had how to be a lady lesson. So it really kind of wow, did that's... feel like, I know, but it, I learned some very valuable things <laughs> that I that I am so grateful that I learned how to behave in social situations. You know, it, it did actually; it has served me well in life. But when I tell people, they're like, "What? You had how to be a lady lessons?" And so, my I'm school, sure there's, I a, guess I'm sure there's one... a
0: short film there somewhere.
1: <laughs> I'm sure there is. Let me tell you, and <laughs> a, and many features on you know the hell of high school as well. So,
0: yeah. Wow. Okay. So when you Obviously, you know, fast forward to being 30 and going to L.A. and just and kind of pivoting into acting. Um, and that d- you, was that a. What's my question here? When you made that choice, was that the direction of, OK, well, this is what my career is going to be now. Um, and what was your idea of making it when you decided acting yeah. was your career choice?
1: Great question. I, so I had done acting throughout my career here and there, my, my Mm -hmm. passion, my whole life had been dancing and the stage, uh, but I had done quite a well little bits I'll say of acting work along the way. Um, so I, when I went to LA was really deciding to pivot into only being an actor, um, rather than, you know, a, a triple threat, I guess. Um, And even for the first, I was in LA for two years. And even for the first year, I was still, you know, working um, dance gigs while I was studying. I was still getting jobs as a dancer and uh, auditioning for lots of dance gigs. And then it did gradually, I gradually stopped and I gradually stopped wanting to, you know, being a dancer is wonderful, but it's a hard life. It's a physically hard life. Uh, And it's, it's a hard life i i I have a very you know northern British body where my body likes to hold anything that's put in my mouth it's held onto my body and, and you know so I spent my whole life dieting like a crazy woman, and you know I'd be in shows where we used to get weighed in front of each other and wow as a dancer, you have to sign weight contracts and it 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 that's is a whole world of mental health issues around yeah. with that, with being a dancer. And so I, I was ready to leave some of that behind. And I know that sounds weird that I moved to LA to leave my body issues behind, but I kind <laughs> of did. Uh, I found a quite a liberation um, in LA and probably it was because I was stepping out of the dancer world into mm-hmm. an acting world where I found that people you were kind of just a bit more accepted for who you were as a person. Whereas okay. in the dance world, you're definitely so compared to dancing. Nothing can, nothing can judge a body. Not even Hollywood can judge a body like the dance industry, you know? So I found LA quite liberating in that, um, that world. And and I definitely decided that I wanted to, to pursue acting. And um, it was also when I was in LA, I found some brilliant teachers and two in particular were Roz Gentle, who's an Australian and Anthony Montez, an American teacher who are both now judges for my film festival. But I really was mentored by these two teachers and and Anthony in particular really, really took me under his wing and encouraged me to direct and to write. And he was the one that really uh, put me on that path and saw that okay. I had, you know, um, I had what, it, what, you know, the beginnings of what could, uh, work as a director and a writer. So I really thank him for that. And that was really, yeah, that all happened in, in LA as well.
0: Okay, cool. So, oh, there's so much to kind of delve into there. I, let me, I, I'll re-ask the question now that we've kind of got to, to that part about acting. When you Once you decided that that was your full-time decision, what was your idea of mm. making it as far as acting is concerned at that point yes. in your life? Obviously it, it may have changed now, but as you went into it, what was your yes. idea of, if I achieve this, I'll have made it as an actor?
1: <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, so this is what, like 12 years ago for me and I guess, you know, I'd probably be lying if I didn't say, you know, winning an Oscar, because doesn't everyone think I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to win an Oscar. And I have to say, living in Los Angeles and studying acting there, like it's no word of a lie to say that most people have written their Oscar speech. And and I think very quickly, I kind of started to see that that was ridiculous for me, because it was just that's uh, I think I, you know, I think I went into it thinking I want to win an Oscar. I want to, I want to, I'm in LA. I want to work in Hollywood. Uh, I want to pursue that, but it's funny cause I actually ended up doing a lot of theater in LA and oh, wow. lots I- of, yeah, it has, An amazing theatre scene, which, yes, of course it does because you have a city full of actors and writers and directors and producers. So, of course, it's going to have this amazing theatre scene, but you don't think of that when you think of L.A. And I ended up doing just heaps of independent theatre in L.A. And I really loved that. And I, I loved, I think the thing I really loved most about working in the arts, apart from being on stage and that feeling, equal to that for me is is being around people like me, being around creatives and actors and just the the camaraderie backstage, you know, and, and in the rehearsal room. And, and that's what I really, really love. And so I just wanted to keep doing that. And so even though I wanted to make it and win an Oscar, uh, that wasn't a dream I held on to for long because reality sank in and I grasp reality. You know, I, I I saw a lot of people in LA and I saw friends of mine who, you know, were living in cupboards like in LA the rent you know people was quite expensive and people rent a room and there might be three people living in one room and they also they they have really big walk-in closets in in America and so people would actually rent the walk-in closets as a bedroom as well and so in my acting school there was lots of people living in closets and stuff and that's not for me Danny that is not (laughs) for me whoa totally i came out of the closet a long time ago and i am not going back into So <laughs> nobody puts baby in a closet or danny in a closet let me tell <laughs> absolutely you
0: absolutely not
1: no so i, I think I, I saw that a lot and each to their own and i don't judge but that's not for me and i um i i also know that i want to be a human being as well. And so, you know, people in America, are very focused on the one thing. And I had been like that for my dance career. And you do need to be like that to be a dancer and possibly you need to be a bit like that to achieve great success. Yeah. Um, I'm still deciding if that's true, but I, I did decide very early, you know, there that I wanted to be a, a balanced human and, and being a creative was my job and it is who I am, but it's not all of me.
0: Sure. Okay. Did you, so like you, you kind of talked about at the beginning of the, the podcast that you, that, that acting or a career in the arts was all you ever mm. d- dreamed of. But as we know, making money in the arts is not really <laughs> the reality a lot of mm. the time. Um, while you were dancing and while you were um, w- working in LA and, and, and doing theatre productions, have you also been supplementing your acting oh, yeah. career with with different types of jobs
1: i definitely have wouldn't it be lovely if i didn't have to i definitely have but i so when i was very young i was really quite obsessed with earning as much money as i could and i think it's because i was brought up you know like you need to save for a house you need to save 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 money and i, I very much you know my parents just wanted us to make sure that we had financial freedom in our lives. And so Mm -hmm. I was a bit obsessed with working. Oh God, I worked awful, awful jobs, you know, between gigs, I would be that person in the supermarket giving out orange juice samples. I did that and promotions, which is awful. And I I did another promotions job for three weeks or four weeks. It paid very well though, but I had to stand on the super uh, on the petrol station and try to get people to fill up with the expensive, unleaded, you know, because it cleans your engine as you drive, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So I did lots of stuff like that. Um, But then as I got older, I decided I needed to do jobs I love. So I was very lucky. I actually got a job as an usher at the Opera House in Sydney. And so I did that for 10 years. And so in between gigs, I would just be watching shows, five or six nights a week, just watching show, show, shows, and then going out, probably spending nearly all my money at the opera bar afterwards with everyone. Um, and <laughs> as you do when you're a night night gig, and that was perfect. I did, you know, night times and my days were free to, to audition and, and do classes. Yeah. And and then I also have done a couple of other, I have taught actually, I got my first teaching gig at 13. So I've been a teacher my whole career. And so I taught from 13 years old, I've been teaching. And so that's been my big steady income and you know, teaching can pay quite well uh, once you build the experience. And and I love that. So I did that. I taught dancing and now Mm -hmm. I teach filmmaking. And I also, um, I did some gigs. I worked as a captain Starlight for two years out at Westmead Children's Hospital. And that was one of my most favorite gigs I've ever done. And so I did that. I imagine that. that
0: would be quite rewarding.
1: It was, I've never cried so much in my whole life. Um, but I had about a 50 minute drive home. And so I would spend that 50 minutes kind of just crying nearly every day. Um, and I needed that time just to, you know, because when you're a captain starlight, you are, you know, you're happy, happy, you're acting, you're trying to distract. And for anyone that doesn't know, it's uh, working with Uh, sick children and dying children in hospital and you're kind of entertaining them in the rooms and then sometimes you're going to their rooms in the different wards and you're entertaining them as they're going through procedures and treatments and a lot of the um a lot of the other captains you know if things were too hard you couldn't you wouldn't do it but i would go into the burns ward which is one of the worst and you know as they're having their bandages removed they're screaming in pain and it's it's really really awful and then we'd be putting on shows and being happy 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 you know and then you'd walk out and you're like you've just been like so happy happy for them but Mm. you know taking in everything that you're seeing so i'd cry the whole way home but and then I'd go to the opera house at nighttime. I was working there at night. And then, you know, people would come up to me and be like, there's no programs left. Oh, this is not good enough. I paid $200 <laughs> for my opera ticket. And I was like, oh, my God, you have no idea what I've been, like, seeing all day, you know. And so I started to get a bit rude to some of the people. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get fired. Um, miraculously, I didn't somehow. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and I also worked at the – I love – I've kind of started really pursuing jobs where I can use my arts in charity situations. So okay. I then worked at the Wayside Chapel for nine years with uh, working with homeless people and drug addicts and me- people living with mental health issues. And I taught filmmaking and acting there. And we put on lots of plays and films and they're interesting and wonderful. Let me tell you that. And I, I now currently i am are, I'm a, a smartphone filmmaking teacher for bus stop films. So we teach, uh, filmmaking to people with physical and, uh, mental disabilities, intellectual disabilities, uh, with the aim to work in the industry as well Mm -hmm. afterwards. So I think I've always, yeah, I've always pursued my, my big passion is using the arts and what I do to kind of, um, change the world in a way in a, you know, in a non-wanky way that might sound wanky, but I, you know, from the heart. That's what I want I know, to do. I know what you
0: mean. Um, well, it's, it definitely sounds like you've um, reached a point at least within your career as far as supplementing uh, acting, paid acting work to be at least working in stuff that still fills you with some form of joy um, at yeah. the same time, which, which is fantastic. When you were starting out, <clears throat> excuse me. Was there? Do you feel that there were that you had to make sacrifices around mm. um, acting versus I don't know working in a doing a, doing ushering versus you know you've got a gig or working in a bar versus doing an audition? What were the type of sacrifices yeah. that you had to make along the way to either feed yourself or pave your way as an actor?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I was very lucky that I lived at home, so I'm from Sydney. So my parents, I got to live with my parents actually, until I moved to LA at 28 or 29 between, I toured a lot. So between tours, I, I always had a bedroom, so I never had to pay rent. My parents didn't even charge me rent. So without having to do that, I mean, what a relief. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and I was a dancer, so I didn't spare very much money on food. Let me tell you. So <laughs> I mean, my my expenditures were pretty low. Like honestly, uh, look, I just thinking back now, I'm like, wow. Um, without without the the having my parents in Sydney, you know, mm-hmm. I have I had a lot of friends who were pursuing with me from you know regional new south wales and, and queensland and very so much different in a much different position and they had to work a lot of hospitality and and I didn't have to and I was able to kind of you know pers- keep making sure my day job was arts related which I always have tried to do and so but I had that luxury and I know mm-hmm. that um i uh, just was thinking there, uh, with with that
0: cuz obviously it's interesting because you mentioned earlier, you know, you started out with that thought process of, you know, earning as much money as possible. Um, you know, working in the arts is great, but it doesn't pay particularly <laughs> well. No, it doesn't. Um, I imagine working as an usher doesn't, it, it's not like you're not saving money to buy a house on an usher's wage potentially. So is do you feel that um, there's been financial sacrifices or life sacrifices yeah. to to do to work in the arts versus you know what you could have been doing with your life otherwise like whether that means travel or um, yeah definitely for a house or whatever uh,
1: I mean definitely there's um if I had have pursued being a lawyer or a doctor you know whichever I wanted me to do I mean how much money am I gonna would I have made in my lifetime and especially as a, you know, as a female, I would have been so financially secure if I had have pursued either of those, because I think, you know, I always think about that. And I think if you're a lawyer, right? Or you're a doctor and you go to law school, medicine school, and you're the top of your class, you're, you're in a career trajectory and you're gonna get picked up at every law firm. You're gonna mm-hmm. earn so much money. You go to acting school and you're the best actor in your class, or you do the best audition, you're probably not even going to get the geek half the time. You know, it's, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get work no matter how good you are in the arts. And, and that's mm-hmm. scary. And that's just how it is. And so you can't rely on anything, right? You can't rely on, you just can't rely on it at all. Um, so definitely, you know, I I didn't get to buy my own house, you know, which, you know, I always wanted to do and, uh, you know, when I was younger and um, you always had to, you were always, I think when you're starting out, especially you're just kind of always waiting around. Like my family would go on holidays and, and friends and would go on holidays, but I had an audition. I might've been waiting for if I got the gig or there was an audition I had to wait around for. So you kind of, I find when you're pursuing it and pursuing it so deeply, especially at the beginning, you do put a lot of the rest of life on hold because you have to, and you have to be focused to try to get the gig. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As you know, over the past few years, self-tapes have become the norm and they are being used by more and more industry professionals to cast all sorts of productions. I've personally recorded self-tapes for theatre and TV and film and commercials, and it makes life easier for casting as they can see more options. But what isn't easy for us actors is finding someone to read for us in the moment that we need them. That's where We Audition comes in. We Audition is an online video chat community where you can call someone that has marked themselves available and they will read for you for your audition. You can use We Audition to rehearse, film or just ask questions that may help your audition. Last year I had an actor contact me who had never drank alcohol, who just wanted to know how to play drunk. Um, You can sign up to We Audition to be a reader yourself. I log into We Audition most days and I just leave it on and people call and I accept and I help them with their auditions. So you can earn a little extra cash doing that and you can just meet some great people. I even helped one of the main cast of Morning Moors tape an audition towards the end of last year. Look, it's a great platform and if you're going to sign up to be a reader, it basically pays for itself. So if you want to sign up to be a reader on We Audition, you can get 25% off using the Actors Making It discount code, Making it. So just go to www.weaudition.com and use the code MAKINGIT when you sign up. I'm not going to put... I'm not going to profess to tell you, obviously, how you feel, but I'm getting getting a sense from the conversation and from your experience that, that all of that stuff hasn't really mattered as much to you because ultimately what you want to be doing is working in the arts and that is what fuels you and what is your passion so it probably hasn't seemed like as much of a sacrifice because you're doing what you love
1: yeah i think do you know i think that's right i think i've not ever thought about that but i think you have said it spot on i think really you know i I was brought up, you know, I think about my upbringing. I was brought up in, you know, middle, middle, upper class Australia. I, you know, was on an academic scholarship. I had, I never went hungry. I never, you know, anything I ever wanted my parents could give me, you know, within reason. So I I had a privileged upbringing, you know, compared to most Mm -hmm. people in the world. And so I I could have done anything I wanted really in life. And, And so I chose to work in the arts And yeah, if I really wanted to pursue money, I, anyone can, you know, I could have, Mm -hmm. and I still could, if I really wanted to, it's not too late, maybe. Um, but I, I chose it a hundred percent and it's all I ever wanted to do. And I actually am so glad that I did because it takes courage and conviction to pursue a career in the arts and I'm 40 and so to still be working in the arts at 40 years old, you know, I'm really proud of myself because so many people I went to performing arts school with, you know, ha- aren't in the arts anymore and that's fine, but I mm-hmm. I am. And, and for me that's, uh, you know, I haven't achieved everything I wanted to achieve in my life and I've done so many things I never thought I would ever – it was on, on my plan. But that's, you know, that's my life. And, you know, so, yeah, yeah I, I'm – I'm happy with, with how it's turned out and I'm happy that, you know, I'm still here and still plugging away um, because yeah. it does take courage, you know, for all of us.
0: It does. And I think you've kind of touched on something really interesting there about, you know, the fact that you're still in the performing arts industry after, or in the creative space after all of this time and having friends that have like not, that have dropped out, that dropped off and, The reason I think that's interesting is kind of one of the reasons why I started this podcast in the first place, because most people, when they decide I'm going to be an actor, have that big, grandiose dream of having of having an Oscar speech and being a name and earning millions of dollars. And then when they're not reaching that after two or three years, it's like, well, what's the point? Um, and people don't really stick with it or have the... then then they're not necessarily doing it for the right reasons. Um, And I think... That's right. I mean,
1: it's all the rejection too, isn't it? It's just constantly being
0: rejected all the time. But it's not even even rejection, is it? Because you don't technically ever get rejected. You just have something go into the ether and never hear back.
1: Well, no. As a dancer, let me tell you, you get oh, some severe whoa, as rejections. As that's why I love acting so much more because you're treated like a human. You know, maybe the dance industry's changed now, but when I was dancing, the things you were treated more like like a product, definitely. Mm-hmm. And and the things people would tell you were really awful. You know, you get rejected, and they tell you exactly why. And and. I remember I moved to acting and I was like, wow, everyone is so nice to me. You know, wow. And, and you get rejected, but it's so much nicer rejection. But it's still just, <laughs> you know, rejection, 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 isn't it? Just, you know, and then you get a gig yeah. like, wow. But, God, you got to be so made of you,
0: steel. How do you to- keep motivated then in the midst of all of that rejection, I mean, I, obviously you <laughs> love the industry, and I get that. Um, but it takes a strong person, mm. and it takes a, a like, like from a mental health perspective, it can be very, um, it can be very damaging. How do you mm. keep motivated to continue pursuing this career?
1: Yeah, yeah. How do I? I, I am a, I don't know, maybe a bit of insanity. Um, I have always been extremely optimistic, so I'm a very positive person. Like, um, to begin with, you know, as a, I remember on one basketball camp, I went on when I was a kid, um, they gave me the nickname happy, like straight away. I've always just been very happy and very optimistic, um, and that baseline mental health level has definitely helped me where i am um yeah. how do i it's a great question i guess i i guess it would be kind of branching out and being a hyphenate for me has definitely helped okay. because it's not you know if if my acting career is not going so great well you know i'm currently writing and, and and even though I might not be working as an actor I'm writing and, and and I've oh I've been asked to direct something as well and so I think definitely for me um I need to be creative and as long as I'm being creative um I'm happy as long as I have a creative output so I've always always even when I was dancing. And that's why I would be on tour. And even when I was on tour, I was studying because I needed, and I, I did my undergrad degree in uh, communications, journalism, and screenwriting. So I was writing all the time. And okay, as long as I'm creative, I'm happy. And, and that's what I need to do to be happy. And I've always written poetry since I was a kid. And I just need to be creative. And then as a second note to that, it, for me, definitely, I knew that I wanted to give back to the world and I wanted to get into charity work. And, but I knew I needed to do that, uh, from an arts perspective. And so very early on doing that kind of work, uh, and they I've been lucky that that's been my day job, even though I'm working in the arts, um, that has nourished my soul in, in even deeper ways. than I thought it could. So those two things have, have very much kept me still happy to this day.
0: Amazing. So let's talk about the, the multi-hyphenate um, part mm. of your career then. So you had some wonderful mentors that um, kind of directed you down that director, direct, directoring, that's not, It's not the right word, <laughs> down the, down the directing and writing route. And now you are, the you know you've founded an amazing film festival annual film festival so talk to me a little bit how about how you've got to that part of your journey yeah
1: god i never thought i'd have a film festival so strange i um so i moved to la to be an actor to study acting and and really at that stage i'd been touring for a good 8 or 9 years as a dancer and a singer. And I really hadn't spent much time in Sydney. And, and so the idea of being in one place for a certain period of time really is what took me to LA more than anything. Um, and, and the fact that actually for a little bit there, I kept saying no to things and I actually was turning gigs down and I was, I was saying no. And, and then I was called out, um, by someone very close to me. And then it made me go like, Oh, like I hadn't quite realized I was blocking a lot of opportunities that were coming my way. And so it was really lovely to have that, um, you know, thrown in my face. And so I said yes to LA because I said, I actually had written to them and said, no, I don't want it. I'm not coming. And then I was like, oh, I say no to everything. Um, and so I said, yes. And I went and, and it was awesome. I had a great time and And so it was there when I was pursuing, so really Anthony Montez, I was invited to a kind of a class that he put on for just invited students, an extra class. And and it was in that class that he said, you know, he really, and he was a huge advocate and at that time in America, it was a very big thing where you couldn't just be an actor. You had to be a creator. And don't okay. sit and wait for other people to give you work. You have to create your own work while you're waiting. And that was a very big thing in L.A. when I was there. I think I think everyone in Australia is like that now too. But at that time, we weren't in Australia. And so for me, my mind was just opened up like, wow. I can do all of this. And, you know, America's are like, you can do it. You can do anything. And to a degree, I believe in that because not everyone can do everything. Um, but I loved the idea of that encouragement. And, and so Anthony, you know, started to get me to direct some of the pieces in class and some of the other actors, I was given permission to direct the other actors and, and give notes. And, and so I started to do that. And then we started writing plays together and I would produce and direct those in LA in little black box theaters. And we put on plays and, um, and Anthony, you know, after two years in LA, uh, I came home and, um, he really had instilled in me and LA had instilled in me this sense of, uh, taking my career, you know, by by the balls, so to say, and, and being the master of my career. And so I came home with that fire in my belly. And I actually started, I was like, I need to keep directing. So Short and Sweet was uh, looking for directors. So I put my hand up and I got this amazing play from a playwright, Adele Shelley in, in Melbourne. And I auditioned actors. And one of the actors that auditioned was uh, Alison Crew, who now is my business partner at SF3. And so we started, uh, the play was amazing. We started winning the rounds and we made it all the way through to the gala finals and we were, we we're in the back then the, um, the emerging section. So we had many rounds okay. to get to the gala. And so it took about three or four months to get to that gala final. And so we were doing many rounds and we kind of were watching very closely how everything was being run. And, you know, we thought what short and sweet has going for it is that it, um, gives everyone a chance to be in the theater, whether you're a playwright, a director, a writer, whether you've done a million plays or none, if you want to give it a go, you can, or if you're a professional and you're between gigs, you can do it. And we loved that idea. And we were like, well, you know, there's nothing like this in Australia for film. There's no one, you know, where do people in the film industry get to do anything? And then I said, yeah, you know, when I was in LA, I'd only been back for about six weeks or something. And I said, um, do you know, people are just starting to film on their phones in LA. And I'd actually just filmed a short documentary in LA on my phone for my journalism degree. I I had gone and was doing this interview with homeless war veterans in LA and I had a Sony DSLR camera and it overheated. And I, it took me about two months to set up these interviews with these top people at the veterans affairs. And um it overheated. And I had just bought an iPhone two days before, thank goodness. And I pulled out my iPhone and I finished my whole documentary on the iPhone. I had no idea I was going to, this was like my career now. And then I, I said to her, you know, people in LA are just doing things on their phones and I just did something on my phone. And so anyway, we put those two ideas together and, and that's how we started the film festival. So I, I think, you know, I hadn't thought I'm going to start my own film festival, but I knew I wanted to do something. And I'd been given that fire in my belly from LA and from Anthony to come home and create something of my own while I waited, you know, for acting gigs. And, and, uh-huh. and yeah, I, I think I, I wanted to do my own business and I wanted to I wanted to be a bit of a, a boss lady. And, and this was my, my chance, you know, and I think, you know, you're given chances in life and you meet the right people. And and a lot of the times that you don't follow through with it. And so I also Mm -hmm. knew and knew I'd been saying no to a lot of things. So I was like, yes, let's do this.
0: Amazing. And how long have you been going now?
1: Yeah. So it took us two years to launch, uh, Mm -hmm of building between our gigs, our full-time jobs and gigs. And we're in our eighth year. So we're just into our eighth season this year.
0: Okay, amazing. And if you, I'm trying to ask questions without leading, but because I have obviously heard <laughs> some stuff already as a, as, a, as a consumer and as a fan of, mm. of the festival, um, do you have a, when it comes to SF3, do you have like a a mission or a vision for the festival itself Mm. and for your filmmakers
1: we we do yeah so our uh, we do have a mission and a vision i should know them off the heart but they are um basically it is to make filmmaking affordable and accessible to all and that's our mission and we do that by i mean smartphone filmmaking is the democratization of filmmaking so just mm-hmm. by by the sheer you know um device uh, it's completely open to everybody and we also have a huge education program which i lead um and we teach a lot of smartphone filmmaking workshops to people all around the world of all ages and of all abilities throughout the year as well
0: yeah what do you what has been your what what does it take if if somebody wants to make a film for SF3, hmm. what what would be the the bit the main bits of advice that you would give to be selected to make it through the yeah. festival?
1: Well, as you would know, Danny, from you were in my class <laughs> a week or two ago, um number one is story. You know, we we are a story driven society and it's only getting more story-driven, the more Uh content that people are consuming. But number one is story, story, story. Make sure you have a great story. Um, Make sure it has heart, whatever genre it is, you know, have a bit of heart to it. Um, Number two would be like any film, just concentrate on your sound. Make sure you've captured your sound correctly and there's, you know, no wind or there's no aeroplanes. Make sure the dialogue can be heard Um, and, and I'd say number three would be just do it because so many people just talk about making a film or, you know, working in the arts or writing that novel, you know, just do it. And, you know, I just finished my very first feature screenplay about two weeks ago because I had a uni deadline that I had to hand it in. I started it. I I I didn't quite realize, but on the t- finally when I finished it, I went back to the title page. I started it nine years and one month um, to the day that I finished it. And so, if a, you know if I can finish a feature screenplay and nine years it took me, but I finished it and I did it. And so that's what I tried to say: just do it, no matter you do it in your own time. You know, everyone lives life and life happens and life gets in the way. But if you want to do something, just do it, but do it in your time. Don't pressure yourself um, sure. with time, timelines time and, you know, because, um, you know, people could easily get disheartened. Oh, it's been too long. And I can't finish my, my film. You can mm-hmm. just do it.
0: Yeah, I think just do it is, the, is a very good uh, motto to have for a lot of things, especially in acting. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, especially when it comes to making your own stuff, you know, we're yeah. a lot of acting is hurry up and wait. Um, so yes, mostly to, to have the ability to make something easy and cost effectively, and give yourself content and put yourself out there, um, I think is is obviously become a lot more easier now with with mobile phones, and it's great that something yeah. like SF three is there to showcase um, to showcase that, uh, now the, I know the deadline, if anybody wants to submit anything is the 1st of August at the moment, um, which it is, but I'll we are going
1: to, we are, I'm just changing my light over here. My light ran out of batteries. <laughs> i will put my phone light on. There we go. All good. Um, we are going to extend our deadline. So okay. I will be announcing it in the next few weeks. It's going to be September uh, 1st. And cool. if anyone, I should, I'll just do a little plug here, but if anyone doesn't yes, have a story, we we have a partnership with Spineless Wonders who are a Sydney publishing house of microfiction. So I have 30 microfictions on my website. If you go under about on our site and then you go down, there's a microfiction tab and I have 30 microfiction stories. They're 300 words or less. I mean, there's your story. You don't even, you know, you just got to adapt that into your screenplay uh, yeah. ready to go. So you can pick any of those and make a film on any of those. And we also are just about to finish. I'm just talking with Chicken and Chips Casting, who are one of our sponsors, and that we're doing a very, it's going to be quite exciting. It's a new kind of um, thing that we're doing this year for the first time. I think we're going to launch it soon, where if you have a script, you can submit it in, by the end, early July or something, we haven't worked out timelines. And then they're going to go through the script and they're going to help you cast it. So they're going to wow. pick the best script and they're going to help you cast your, your film. And they want to get, more, they've been our sponsors since the very beginning, one of our biggest sponsors, and they want to get a bit more hands-on with the films and the filmmakers. So we're working out something really exciting. So get your script and I'm going to be doing a call out soon for those script. We've never called out for a script. So this is our first time. Okay. Um, and then It'll go through the casting process with Chicken and Chips, one of the top casting directors in Australia. So that's really exciting too.
0: Yeah, that is a, that is exciting and amazing. Do, do, is that <clears throat> something, obviously one of the big things within independent filmmaking is having to pay actors or pay, paying actors tends to not happen very often. Is that something yeah. that would be mm-hmm. a constraint with working with chicken and chips
1: that's a really great question that i haven't even we haven't we it is so new like it's like all in theory so i haven't even worked out any nitty-gritty like that okay um yeah i actually don't know exactly i i will ask chicken and chips as um how they like to work obviously us at sf3 me working as an independent actor I'm very used to not getting paid Mm. or getting paid sometimes, you know, so I I do projects where even when I do projects, I sometimes pay and and most often, you know, can't. So Mm -hmm. obviously from my side, that's, that's fine, but I will, yeah, that will all yeah. be worked out.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. Danny, well, it's really, thank you it's for really... bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's more. Like, anyway, like when I'm as, a, as an actor, if my agent is sending me something from a casting agency, my expectation is that that <clears throat> job would be paid. So that's yeah. that's why I I guess I asked the question. Um, but also, I found out something this week that I didn't know that now concerns me for my own. Film. So, every I'm, I'm very lucky for the film that I'm producing. Everybody has has off, has agreed to volunteer their time and work for free. However, I am I have started, as you know, a fundraising um, drive to raise money to pay all cast and crew. Um, that I'm not intending to. I'm intending to use only ten percent towards editing costs and. Whatever else, all of the other all other costs will come out of my own pocket. But ninety percent of that fundraising is to pay cast crew, because we always go unpaid. I want to be the change that I want to see in the industry. But anyway, I was on a set on Saturday, and there were some fresh Gra- uh, Afters graduates who pretty much explained that technically, um, according to union, if if you do pay actors, you have to pay them a minimum of the MEAA rate or nothing at all otherwise you are technically underpaying actors
1: do you have to
0: well this is the this is what they uh is it
1: like have to it's not legally it's like you should
0: yeah i'm not i'm not sure i need to investigate because i've started to freak out um because i may not earn enough i may not raise enough to (laughs) to pay the minimum meaa rate um but anyway it was just it was just an interesting mm. conversation that came up that's uh when it comes to paying actors.
1: Do you know even I mean just as a devil's advocate even like an underpaid actor is still a paid actor. You know it it's still you're still paying. I always find so just you know at SF3 we have to pay mates rates for some things still um, or get volunteers to work for us because we are still Um, self-funded and very small. We have small sponsorship funding and small government funding sometimes, you know, that comes and goes. Um, What's my whole point here? Oh, yeah. (laughs) As long as you're, um, we're always very honest with, you know, I'm always very honest with people. If I'm hiring them to work for no money or very little money, and I always tell them how much I'm getting paid, which is $0, you know. And and I think as long as I, I always very much like to tell people straight up, you know, and, and very honestly will tell them how much I'm getting paid. And that tends to make things better for people too. Yeah, sure.
0: Because,
1: you know, they can think that you're getting paid lots of money. People always say to me, like, oh, you must earn so much money as a film festival director. You, you must earn heaps of money. I'm like, oh, my God, what are these people thinking? <laughs> um, I wish. From where? from I where would you know. be making
0: it i mean
1: <laughs> i have i think maybe they think ticket sales but they don't know how expensive theaters are to hire you know like
0: amazing all right well, i'm very conscious that we've probably been chatting for a good uh, uh, about an hour or so now i can't tell because it's over three different recordings <laughs> due, <laughs> to technical, due to technical issues um but i i'll ask one final question um hmm. what would be one piece of advice that you would give a fresh filmmaker.
1: Yeah, well, that advice would be just do it. That would mm-hmm. be number one. I have two. I'll give you two. Um, so just, just do it. Just keep making films. Uh, and I, I, I wish you know. I look back when I started, and I was, I was really good, and I was damn good, and I thought I was terrible. And I would go to auditions and I would totally psych myself out. Or there was auditions I should have gone to and I didn't because I thought I wasn't good enough. And I was really wonderful. And I wish I had have believed in myself. And, and even on gigs, you know, I, I, I definitely suffered a lack of confidence. And, yeah, I just wish, you know, no... Trust in yourself, I think. And that's hard. I think that's something you learn with age. So that's a hard thing to tell someone, you know, but maybe try to believe you are good. Um, And even if, you know, you're having a bad day that just try to see the good in your talents because uh, you're doing it for a reason and you get jobs for a reason, you're making films for a reason. So just, you know, try to see the good instead of always picking apart your work and yourself.
0: Which is very easy to do in this industry when we don't get any feedback, when we've done an audition and we don't get a we don't get gigs. So yeah. it's very easy to self, um, self criticise that we're not good because we're not getting somewhere.
1: That's right. And mostly feedback that you get is criticism. You know, people, especially in Australia, very rarely tell you all the good stuff. But you will hear the bad stuff. So then if you're just hearing a lot of bad stuff all the time, you know, who tells you the good? Um and it, it has to be up to you. And that's where you've got to find your your inner strength to to yeah. keep believing in yourself and, and not to say, you know, big headed or anything, but it, it's that inner light inside you and and just um try yeah, try try to see, you know, you gotta see the bad stuff you got to see what you do wrong because that's how you're going to improve but make sure you also give yourself the credit for the good stuff
0: yeah for sure amazing angela thank you so much for um joining me this evening i really appreciate having the chat with you